there, I'm Ann. Welcome to First Methodist Mansfield. We're so glad you're joining us in worship today. Before we get started, I wanna take just a couple of minutes to let you know what's going on around here. First Methodist Mansfield is dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ who will love God, love others, and serve the world. If this is your first time in worship with us, we would love to meet you. Stop by one of our connecting points just outside your worship space, and we're happy to share more about the church and answer any questions you may have. This is the first week of our new sermon series, Changed Lives, Changing Lives. If this is your church home, you should have received a packet in the mail this past weekend that included more information about our stewardship campaign. This is our chance to commit to the new year of ministry and to enable our leadership to make wise decisions as we prepare for that new year. If you didn't receive a packet and would like one, please stop by the connecting point outside this worship space today. Next Saturday, October 29th, you're all invited to participate in our second annual Trunk or Treat. Dress in your best Halloween costume and come out between 4.30 and 6 for a night of family fun. Children of all ages will trunk or treat around decorated cars in our parking lot. All are welcome, so invite your friends and neighbors. After trunk or treat, we'll head inside in our costumes to worship together at 6 p.m. in the sanctuary. Candy donations and trunks are still needed. Contact P at fmcm.org for more information about volunteering. If you've got questions about First Methodist Mansfield or are looking for ways to get involved, stop by a connecting point. No matter where you are in life or how many times you've attended First Methodist Mansfield, we want to help you. Good morning, friends. Welcome to Cornerstone, to our 930 service. So glad that you are here. If you're a guest uh, here for the first time, thanks for being here. My name is David. I serve as a senior pastor here, and I appreciate the chance to be able to share with you. I want to say a a couple of quick words uh, as we begin. First, I want to say a word about Trunk or Treat, which you just heard about. We're excited about next Saturday, uh, welcoming lots and lots of kids. Uh, Let me tell you, there's only one way to mess that up running out of candy. I mean, as long as you have candy, the kids are excited. So uh, I want to encourage you uh, to think about uh, serving as a trunk host for that. If you'd be interested in just parking your car, uh, you can decorate it if you want. You can wear a costume if you want. But if you have candy, it works, okay? We'd love for you to do that. And I'm looking around the room, I'm seeing, I'm seeing some themes that might, I mean, we've got a Frostbank trunk. Uh, I think that would be great. Uh, a Big Hat barbecue trunk over there. Herman Orthodontics trunk. I, all these are great ideas. You, you, you go with them. I'd love, I'd love for you to be there. Uh, it's a way in which we seek to bless our community. And so, love for you to come out uh, for the Trunk or Treat event next, uh, next Saturday afternoon. Second thing I want you to know about is coffee with the pastor. If you have any questions about the life of our church, this afternoon at 3 o'clock, tomorrow night at 6 p.m., and Wednesday morning at 10 a.m., I'm going to be in the chapel. Uh, I'm going to share a couple of responses to just some frequently asked questions I get. But if you have any questions that you want to ask, I'd love for you to come to any one of those three gatherings. I uh, would love to visit with you about those uh, as we prepare for a new year ahead. And on that note, uh, if you call this your church home, you should have received a packet in the mail. And you're actually going to receive two packets because our, our, our publishing company kind of messed this up for us. So you 
got half of it already. Probably most of you haven't gotten the second half. Let me just show that to you. It's this brochure that's coming in the mail. If you live in Mansfield or close by, I'm guessing you haven't received this. Uh, and the reason why is because one of the things that we've learned is that mail that we send goes to Fort Worth before it comes back to Mansfield. So if you live in Fort Worth, you probably already got this. Uh, the reason I know that is because Mike Ramsdale texted me yesterday and said, I got my brochure. Looks great. But most of you probably haven't. It's coming in the mail uh, and you'll get that. The other thing in there uh, is this estimate of giving card. And I just want to say a quick word about this card and, and why we do this each and every year uh, for, again, all those who call First Methodist uh, their faith home. The first reason that we do this is because we believe in generosity. We believe that living like Jesus means living generously. And so each year, we believe it is a valuable process to go through. I believe it is in my life and, and for all of our lives to look at how we're doing in that area and to think about how we are going to share the blessings that we have received uh, with the kingdom of God at work in the world. But here's the second reason, and here's what I want you to really understand about, about this process. When we go through this, part of what you enable your church to do is to ensure that your sacrifice makes its maximum potential on the world. So I don't know about you, but when I give a dollar away, I want that dollar to do good work. I want that dollar to do a lot of work. I want it to do as much work as it can possibly do. And that's part of what this process enables your church leadership to do. Because we make decisions off of this about things that we're going to do or maybe things that we're not going to do. Because we want to ensure that our shared sacrifice makes its maximum impact on the world in which we live. So I want you to understand that's a big part of this process and we appreciate you participating in it and I appreciate you praying for your church and praying for our future as we move through these next four weeks. If you have your Bible, we're gonna be in Luke chapter five. Uh, Luke chapter five, if you did not bring your Bible, oh, there's my email if you wanna be uh, a trick or treat person. So. Sorry, forgot about that. Luke chapter 5, uh, if you didn't bring your Bible, you can grab a blue Bible out of the seat pocket in front of you. In that Bible, Luke 5 will be on page 1601. I want to encourage you to find that. Uh, and as you do, I want to begin by telling you a little bit of my own uh, personal story of life change. When I was 16 years old, I gave my life to Jesus. And when I did that, I, I'll tell you just a little bit about what I thought through, what, what my prayer was when I gave my life to Jesus. It was not, oh Jesus, I really want to go to heaven, I don't want to go to that other place, okay? I mean, that was, I guess, part of it. But for me, the prayer was, Jesus, I want you to come into my life and Jesus, I want to give my life to you. I mean, that was really the prayer that I prayed. That was the intention behind it. I want you to come into my life, and I want to give my life to you. And if you've, you've prayed that prayer in your life, this next part's probably not going to surprise you. I was not uh, clear when I prayed that prayer how seriously Jesus was going to take that prayer. Okay, are you with me? Like, I didn't understand that the trajectory of my life changed more dramatically than I realized that night. Uh, because very soon after making that commitment, uh, I, I began to sense that Jesus was laying something on my heart. Jesus was, was saying, if you're going to give your life to me, I have a way in which you can use that life. And the specific way that I felt like Jesus was calling me to use my life was not really what I had in mind uh, when I thought about my future. You see, I'm a preacher's kid. 
And you may think to yourself, oh, preacher's kid, I mean, what, you, you, you must love the church. You know, you must just think, oh, what, what a great thing to serve the church. Well, maybe not so much. So at, at that point in my life, like, that was not what I was thinking I really wanted to do. But this, this conviction began to grow in my life that, that this, is, this was Jesus' answer back to me, to the prayer that I had prayed when I said, Jesus, I want to give my life to you. And Jesus said, good, because I've got some plans for you. So finishing high school, I, I knew that's, that, that's really what I felt like God was calling me to do. So I knew what it was going to mean long term. I knew I was going to get my master's uh, in order to do that. And, but that left the question, well, what am I going to do in the meantime? You know, I'm going to go get an undergraduate degree. What am I going to do? So here's where I ended up. And where I ended up will probably surprise you. I ended up at the business school at Texas A&M studying finance or finance, however you choose to say it, but we, we, I call it finance. So at one point in my life, I could have evaluated a stock price for you, and I can't do it anymore. But that, that, was, my, that was my schooling. And, and you may think to yourself, well, why, why would a young person set on a career for ministry go to business school? Like, well, what, what was that about? Well, here's why I did it. Because my mom and my dad, uh, they, they said, if this is where you're going, this is wisdom that you will need and you will not get it anywhere else. <laughs> now, the reason that they had that perspective is because, again, my dad had spent his entire uh, career serving the church. My, my mom had been in, really in ministry with him. And, and, and my dad and my mom had a perspective on the church that I'm guessing is a little bit different than the perspective uh, that you have on the church. Because my guess is, when you think about your church, you, your perspective is this, I want my church to do great things right? I mean, when you come to church on a Sunday morning and, and you see the altar just filled with these quilts, and uh, as Jim said, I hope you'll come by after the service, just, just gaze at the beauty of these quilts as you spend a few moments and say a prayer of blessing over these. You see something like this and you go, wow, I'm just, I had no idea that, that, that there's a group of ladies that comes on Thursdays and they make these quilts and there's hundreds more that they've made over the course of this year. But you see that and you go, I'm, I love that. I love that my church is doing great things. That's awesome. You, you hear about things that we're doing or you, you, you see a picture of a, what's happening in Rwanda or Guatemala or India or, or something that's happened locally. You hear about a group of people who went out and fed the homeless and you just think, wow, I love that about my church. I want my church to do great things. But, but here was the perspective that my dad had. You see, my dad had a similar experience uh, in his youth, and he f had a similar calling in ministry. And so he went to Texas Wesleyan University, and he studied religion. And then he went and got his master's uh, at TCU, and he got a master's in, essentially, religion. And so when he came out of that seven years of schooling, he was really qualified to talk about religion and, and to do religion and religious stuff. And because he had the perspective that, hey, the church is doing about great things, he thought he was all ready. But here's what he learned. What he learned is that the church is in fact a complex organization. Someone should say amen. The church is a complex organization. It's very, very challenging. It's very, very difficult. It is in fact, and I know this word, man, it may, may hit you a little bit wrong, but the church is in fact a business that seeks to deliver a very specific product. And we might add this, that the demand for that product far exceeds the supply. 
The church is in the business of delivering a very specific product, and the demand for that product far exceeds the supply of it. So as we begin, I want you to know that I'm going to challenge you in this series to think about your church in a different way. As a, as a group of people that we're really about doing more than just doing some good things. But rather, I want you to think about the church according to these two convictions that I want to share with you. That no organization should be more committed to excellence in their work and effectiveness in achieving their mission than the church. No organization should be more committed to those two things, excellence and effectiveness, than the church. And the reason why is the second conviction. Because the product of the church is God's answer to a broken world. The work that you do as a church, the work that we do together, is the way that God is responding to the prayers of a broken world. Which means that the work that we do together is more important than anything else you will ever do in your life. It is easy to spend your life building a kingdom that will one day pass away. But the work that we do together as a church is building a kingdom that has an eternal impact on the world. The product of the church, what we do together is God's answer to a broken world. So we're going to look at four questions in this series. Today we're going to look at the question of what do we do? What is it that we do exactly? How do we do it is what we're going to talk about next week. That may be the most important question of the Christian faith. How do we do what we say that we do? In the third week we're going to talk about the resources that we use, that we utilize in order to do this work. What resources are required? In the last week we're going to talk about what what does success look like? What does it look like to be successful at this work that we share, this work that we do together? So we're going to look at Luke chapter 5, and we're going to look at how Jesus answers this question. What do we do? What What did he do? How did he define the mission and vision of his life? And we find this in an interaction that Jesus has with some of his adversaries. So Luke chapter 5, look at verse 27 with me and listen to this. After this, Jesus went out, this is very early in Jesus' ministry, he went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And Levi, this this happens over and over again in the Gospels, there's no really explanation for this, but Levi got up, he left his tax booth, he left everything and he followed Jesus. Verse 29, then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus. Evidently, he was excited about this, this new decision he'd made in his life. He held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. So Levi throws a party, and he invites all his friends, and who is surprised to know that his friends are all tax collectors? So Jesus is there, they're having a party, but the Pharisees, this is verse 30, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to the sect complained to his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them. So Pharisees come, they ask the disciples a question, but Jesus steps in and he answers them. And he says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, 
but sinners to repentance. So a couple things I want you to notice here. So we got tax collectors, and you can probably guess that the tax collector is not the most popular guy in town, right? Like that's, we, we get that, we understand that. If you live next door to the IRS guy, you're not happy about it. Let's just be honest, right? Okay? The only thing that could be worse is if the pastor lived next door to you, right? I mean, can you imagine how bad that would be? Stop having fun over there. What are you doing? That would be terrible to live next door to me. I, I, I understand, yeah. Uh, but, but I want you to understand that in the context of the first century world, this was more than just like the person you didn't want to hang out with. The tax collectors, let me, let me help you understand who they were. These were Jews who worked for the Romans, and on behalf of the Romans, they took money from the Jews. Did, did you follow that? These were Jews who worked for the Romans, and on behalf of the Romans, they took money from the Jews. So these were people who were, they were the enemy. I mean, these were, these were traitors. These, these were individuals who had turned their back on their family, on their friends, on their community, and they were making a pretty good living off of the suffering that they were causing to their own people. So the Pharisees and the, tax, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they refer to them as sinners. But I'm guessing they had some other words to refer to these people. I mean, these were not people who were popular. These were the enemies, the traitors to the Jewish people. And so they say to Jesus, what are you doing? Why are you here with them? And, and Jesus' response is, no, 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 no. You don't understand what I do. <laughs> you don't understand what I'm about. Because Jesus' response is this, I am all about helping people who are sick, who hope to get well. This, that, that's how Jesus defines it. He says that his life is about helping people who are sick, who hope to get well. Now, one of the first questions is, what does Jesus mean by this word sick? I mean, what exactly is he trying to, uh, to communicate there? And as you read through the Gospels, you will see Jesus healing people of physical ailments, right? But... But Jesus is talking about a different kind of sickness here. He's talking about a sickness that infects the entirety of the soul. A sickness that infects all of humanity. And what Jesus says is, I have come for the purpose of healing the human heart and the human soul. Some of you may know the name John Wesley. He was an 18th century Anglican priest. He started a movement that would one day become the Methodist Church. That may ring a bell. Uh, John Wesley, when he would send out pastors uh, to preach, one of the things that he would frequently remind them uh, was this. He would say to them, you have one business on earth to save souls. Nothing else. This is all you do. This is what your entire life is about. This is what your entire ministry is about. You have only one business to accomplish on earth, and that business is the work of saving souls, of going out into the world to share the good news about the one who has come to help people who are sick, who hope to get well. One of the things that we've been looking forward to in this series is the opportunity to share with you some stories 
of lives that have been changed in the, in the scope of your ministry, in the scope of your church. And the first story that we're going to share with you is a story uh, from a young man named Kyle. And here's two things I want you to think about or or I want you to know about Kyle's story before you hear his story. The first thing I want you to know is is I haven't met Kyle, okay? I I don't want you to hear this as, oh, well, this is David's story that he's sharing with us. This is is a young man who is active in, in a ministry we call The Landing. He meets on Thursday nights. He'll tell you more about that in his story. But I've actually never met him. We got together with staff and I said, tell me, tell me some stories that, that our church needs to hear about lives that have been changed. And, and Amanda said, we need to tell Kyle's story. I said, well, I don't know Kyle. I don't know anything about his story, but I'd love to hear his story. Now, the reason I share that with you is, is you may not have met Kyle either, but this is your story. It's our story. It, it's a life that has been changed in the context of your faith family. And so hear this not as some other story of some person who lives some, this is your story. And the second thing I want you to think about as we hear his story, I want, you, I want you to think about that the church is about helping people who are sick, who hope to get well. Think about that as you listen now to how Kyle tells his story of getting well. Let's listen to that. I was born in Hawaii because my dad was in the army. And when I was three, we moved back to Houston. 9-11 happened, and my dad was going to re-enlist in the military. And my, they, my parents got into a huge fight, and they got a divorce. My mom, she was using drugs. So fourth grade, she went to my, her parents and asked for help and got into a rehab facility. I'd get to go see my, my mom at rehab. It's hard to remember. I I've just blocked it all out because it's just tough. Well, my dad got a call from my mom. She said, Kyle, I love you more than anything in the world. And she was crying the whole time. Said, don't ever forget that I love you. And then she hung up. And uh, my dad tried calling her back. And eventually I went to sleep. And that was the next day I was like, Dad, let's go fishing. And he just, he left. He, he was crying. And we drove to meet my grandmother at a suit shop. I didn't understand that. I was having fun. I didn't know what was going on. So I was just trying on the suit. And eventually we go back to my grandmother's house. My dad takes me down to the, the river and he, he sits me down, he says, son, your mom passed away. Everything changed, everything changed, it was terrible. I didn't stop crying for a week. And then I realized that's why we went and got the suit. The next day I remember pulling up to the funeral home and that was it, that was, I said goodbye. I still didn't actually believe it, I always thought, Maybe she'll just come back. Maybe this is just a dream. I wish I'd have treated her better because when I was a kid, I was selfish. My dad was sad about it too. He couldn't handle it. He started really using. It was up to me to get myself to school, to wake up, to get on the bus. It was up to me to cook dinner sometimes. I remember just just hating life and thinking about if I died, I'd be fine. I don't care about anything anymore. My grades shot all the way down. There was no meaning to my life. I saw my dad doing what he was doing, and so I started smoking pot. I had gotten caught by my dad a a lot of times, and he'd just scream at me. One day, he had just left. He left us. He went to go gambling in Las Vegas, and my grandma found out about it. She came and picked me up and started fighting for my custody. I was addicted to 
to weed and I was also taking pills. I had three really nice guitars. I sold them all, steal my grandma's money to go get that escape. My grandma couldn't take it anymore. So I moved to Arlington and that's where I met my best friend. His name's Carson. Their family came to this church. I would come up to the landing on Thursday nights and we would kind of hang out and just be kids. As I got to know him better, I was able to talk to him about things going on at home. For a while, I think I was clean for eight months and then I started using again. So I had lived in about 10 different homes up to this point and um, I just, I was ready to go back to the old way. And that's when Carson's family stepped up and they said, you can come with the, live with us. <laughs> it was amazing I and mean, I felt loved by all of them. I started playing in the band at the landing. For sure one of my highlights of the week was every Thursday getting to go over there and jam out on the guitar. And almost every week it seemed like the topic they were talking about hit home like it's exactly what I need when you get high you're really not there it's not you when you're praising God you're there words can't even describe it it's a desire that you've been longing for but you don't even know what it is and it's fulfilled and you just you can't help but smile and laugh and and love I can trust this place that that's what the landing is for me it's a safe place for me my life has changed dramatically when I was younger when I was getting high and I had no hope. I didn't think I was gonna amount to nothing. I didn't plan on going to college at all. Now, I've started my college classes, got an internship at an engineering company, so many things that I didn't even think were possible. I have a wonderful family. I didn't think I would ever have that again. I don't think any of this would have been possible without them and without God. God laid this all out before me and I had no idea. I didn't even believe in God until I moved up here and I started seeing his works and what he was doing within me. I still miss my mom because I wish she was here. I wish she could see me grow up and do these things. I wish she was here. I am a life that has been changed. I've been changed immensely. There's so much knowledge that I have that I'm ready to pour out. I know there's people out there that feel like they're on their own. They feel like if they would die, it just wouldn't matter. You're not alone. God is there. He's with you. You're going to make it. It's gonna get better. To the people who invested their time and money to the landing, without it, I would have gone down a darker path. Thank you so much. This place has changed me, and I know that it will continue to work on others. My name's Kyle, and I found recovery, love, and support at the landing. One of the common misconceptions of church, and, and maybe you're here today and this is, this is your thought, but the misconception is that church is for perfect people. And that's not true. The church is for people who know their own sickness and who believe that a life with Jesus can make them well. And that as they grow in wellness, Christ enables them to participate in the healing and restoration of the world. That's who the church is for. People who know their need. People who know their sickness. People who recognize their own ability to destroy their lives. And who cry out for help. For someone to come to rescue them from themselves 
and to lead them to live in a brand new way. And in the midst of all the things that we do as a church, it is easy for us to sometimes forget that we only have one business here. And everything that we do is directed towards this work of saving souls. We hear a story like Kyle's and we are reminded of just how high the stakes are in this work that we do. That his life and his story represents so many others who have not only experienced transformation and healing because of Jesus, but also the many more who find themselves hurting and have no idea how to deal with their woundedness other than an addictive behavior or a self-destructive way of living. Christ comes not for those who claim to be healthy, but for those who know their sickness. People like you and me People like Stephanie who stole her husband's car keys this morning. That was perfect. That's awesome. Hello, Brian, who's watching online this morning. That's hilarious. People who, people who need help. People who long to get well. And so what I want to invite you to do is we, we're just really beginning this series this week. Next week, we're talking about how do we do it. And that's, again, that's a really, really critical message. But I just want you to think about why you're here today. I want you to think about why you got out of bed this morning and you came here. It wasn't just because we have coffee. I bet you had that at home. It wasn't just because you wanted to see your friends. I mean, you could call them. You could, there were other avenues for that. Why did you come here? Why did you come to this place? Why do we come here? Why do we approach this altar? Why do we, why do we invest our time and our energy and our attention in this? Maybe it's just because in your life you have this sneaking suspicion that Jesus, maybe he has something to say to me. Or maybe it's because you have this conviction in your life that the only way I'm going to get well is right here in a life, in a new life with God. And so what I want to invite you to do is if you feel comfortable, I just want to invite you to, to close your eyes and I want you to think about what it is that today you would bring to Jesus Maybe it's something in your heart right now. It's, a, it's an anxiety that you have that you haven't been able to, to let go of. Maybe it's a relationship in your life right now that's just not going the direction that you want it to. There's a fracture there. You've tried lots of different things to make it better, but nothing seems to work. Maybe like Kyle, there's an addiction that you haven't shared with anyone. You haven't confessed it to yourself or confessed it to God, but you know it's not getting better and you're wondering where to turn. Maybe it's a disappointment or a concern about someone that you love, someone who is in the hospital or maybe dealing with an illness, someone who's in the middle of cancer treatment. And in your own way, what I want to invite you to do is to simply bring that to Jesus.
present that need to him. Invite him into it. Invite him to lead you through it. Maybe invite him to see today, to help you see today what you may be missing in that. Perhaps receive today his good word that he would give you in response to that need. Loving God, we give you thanks for the gift of life that you have blessed us with. And Lord, today in this moment, we just pause and we, we recognize and we affirm again just how precious that gift is. We do confess, Lord, that, that we often don't think about that until something hits us between the eyes. And we're reminded of our frailty and our need. And sometimes, Lord, we confess that that's the only time we come when we're desperate. Remind us today, Lord, that it's the desperate that need a Savior. And we are those who are desperate for healing and for hope and for goodness and grace, for gifts that only you can bring. Only you can bring, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, for trying to find those in other places. Thank you, Lord, for this sacred work that we get to share together as brothers and sisters, and and we get to share with you. And so, Lord, as you continue your work in us, we today commit ourselves to continuing your work in the world.